0: If you were reading about the Netherlands' election of 2017 and the days before it happened, you'd see one name rise above the rest. Hirt Wilders. He is the leader of the right-wing Party of Freedom, which is staking its territory internationally as a prophet of anti-Islamic, anti-integrationist policy. As of a week before the election, he was at the top of most opinion polls. Many see the connection to the right-wing populism that elected Donald Trump, voted for Brexit, and now threatens the liberal consensus in elections later this year in Germany and France. The left-liberal movement parties in Europe and America find themselves cowed as the white working-class coalition bedrock abandons them for populist leaders. The rise of hard-right politics in both Europe and the United States is indisputable, but in the Netherlands, the political system is not like Austria or France with its two-stage presidential system, or in the United States where the man who lost the popular vote became president and it's certainly not like the Brexit vote. Dutch politics takes place in a highly diverse party system, and while the Dutch system has long been ruled by a few relatively large parties, recent events and even more recent polling indicate that this balance is eroding. The election this week saw over a dozen political parties enter the parliament, with any number of possible combinations forming government. And even though Geert Wilders may be on the front pages of newspapers from Shanghai to Mexico City, he's nothing new. In fact, he's been active in politics since 1997. What is new is that, since the beginning of this year, his party has consistently polled ahead of better established parties. On Wednesday, March 15th, the public in the Netherlands went to the polls. Today, we will try to put Mr. Wilders in his proper context as we ask, what is happening in Dutch politics, and what can we expect next? The Netherlands have a complicated party system, owing to one of the world's most open proportional representation, or PR, systems. Every four years, the country elects 150 members to its legislature, or as they call it, the second house. The Netherlands' PR system is pretty straightforward. It's a party system that uses one single national constituency. So, the parties provide lists to the electoral authorities, the people vote for their preferred party and legislators take their seats proportionate to their party's vote countrywide. The party leader and candidate for prime minister is, of course, the first name on the list. The vote threshold for entry into the legislature in systems of proportional representation is usually between 2 and 5 percent. In Israel, a similar system, the threshold is 3.25 percent. In Russia, it's 5. In the Netherlands, it is only 0.67, or one one hundred and fiftieth of the total vote, which is to say that if you have enough of the vote to get one seat, you get one seat. The votes of those below the threshold are redistributed to the parties above it, which tends to inflate larger parties. The extreme representativeness of the system produces some interesting party politics, sometimes giving a platform to parties with highly specific grievances. For example, two of the small parties that have won seats this year are a hardline religious party, the SGP, and an animal rights group called the Party for the Animals. In the Netherlands, these are what are called testimonial parties. This means that they'll vote on legislation, but never negotiate to be a part of a cabinet coalition that will govern the country. The Netherlands also have a 75-member Senate called the First House, which can block legislation, but not create or amend it. It is elected by regional governments two months after regional elections, which happen every four years. It meets once a week, its members don't get paid much, and the body's function is mainly to monitor the quality of legislation coming out of the Second House. So, Let's talk about the process of forming a government. So it all starts with the monarch, King Willem-Alexander, who appoints what is called an informateur, uh, someone who is unlikely to be involved as a cabinet minister or an official in the next government. The informateur holds meetings with the party leaders of the next legislature in an attempt to find a coalition of parties that will work both mathematically and in terms of a specific policy agenda. Once the informateur has the rough outline of what the next cabinet coalition will be, they will resign, and the monarch appoints a formateur, informateur, formateur, the man or woman who is likely to be the prime minister. This formateur chairs the discussions on the shape of the coalition and which cabinet posts or ministries will go to which parties. When negotiations to form a coalition agreement are complete, the monarch ceremonially invites the formateur to become prime minister and form a government. This process of cabinet formation is as important as the cabinet itself, as it lays out the cabinet agreement, which details the goals and objectives of the government. All of this leads to Dutch political scientists marking the passing of time not in terms of prime ministers, but in terms of cabinets. We find ourselves at the tail end of the second Rutte cabinet, named after Prime Minister Mark Rutte and his party the VVD, a liberal party of the centre-right. This cabinet has what could be considered a centrist policy direction. It was formed after the first Rütte cabinet fell apart. That government was made up of Rütte's party, along with the Christian Democratic Appeal, a Christian Democrat party. It was supported by the far right, Geert Wilders, and the Party of Freedom. The policy direction of the first cabinet was clearly further to the right wing. In elections after the first Rütte cabinet fell in 2012, Two parties, the Labour Party and the VVD, had scored around 25% each. Four parties, the Party of Freedom, the Socialists, the Christian Democratic Appeal, and a liberal opposition party called Democracy 66, had scored around 9% each. Beyond that, there were five parties that scored 3% and below, but still cleared the threshold for seats. Following those elections, it was relatively easy to create a coalition, the Labour and the VVD having just enough seats between the two of them to form a majority a coalition of the centre. The second Rutte cabinet was not popular. Some of Rutte's signature issues, which have included increasing the retirement age from 65 to 67, transitioning state health care services to the market, cutting international development aid and funding to the arts, and cutting spending on social welfare programs, have not been popular in the Netherlands. In addition to that, Rutte had gone back on a 2012 campaign promise that he had made to stop further emergency funding to Greece, during the latter half of Europe's debt crisis, funding for a Greek bailout was deeply unpopular among the right-wing constituency for which Ruta and the hard-right Heert Wilders compete. In 2015, the Dutch cabinet approved further funding for Greece in exchange for meeting stringent reform requirements. In the last year or so, government spending has increased, and Rutte's last budget was a clear attempt to roll back unpopular austerity measures in the run-up to an election. It included increasing social payments for pensioners, single parents, and children from low-income families. The budget also increased border security with a specific reference to a screening on migrants and counter-terrorism. This was a set of promises that took Rutte and his liberal VVD, as well as their coalition partners, into the 2017 election. Now the unpopularity of the second Ruta cabinet has damaged the standing of the two coalition partners, with Ruta running second to Vilders Party of Freedom in the last few months in all but a handful of polls. The Labour Party found itself severely reduced to fifth place or worse in polling. In the weeks before the election there was a surprising stability to the polls, with Vilders in first at around 17%, and the government VVD in second at around thirteen. But in the last week before the election, Vilders began to lose traction, and on election night there was a dramatic reversal. Preliminary election numbers now have him between second and third place, with Prime Minister Mark Rutte returning to first place, although with a severely diminished caucus. Rutte will likely be returning for a third government with around 20-22% to 22% of the vote. Wilders is well behind him at around 13. And there are two other parties in that range. The first is the Christian Democratic Appeal, a Christian Democrat party of the center-right. This party had formerly been one of the most important in the Netherlands. It had led, or been a part of most government coalitions since it was formed in the early 80s. Even before that, the parties that came together to form it had ran the country for generations as a group of Protestant and Catholic parties. They were a part of the first Rutte cabinet, which failed when Geert Wilders pulled his support. The CDA was, as of a couple of days before the election, within striking distance of first place in the polls. The party leader had presented himself as being hard on immigrants, but with a focus on politeness and good manners. He has pledged that he will not support a coalition with Wilders and the Party of Freedom. Also in that range, and almost certain to take part of a multi-party coalition government, is Democracy 66, a centrist liberal party. D66 has taken a hard pro-European, pro-integrationist line. They tried to paint themselves as a liberal alternative to Mark Rutte, whose rhetoric had focused on going after the conservative voters that he had been losing to the Party of Freedom. As a true liberal party, D66 have been the chief supporters of legal and unregulated marijuana, prostitution, abortion, and doctor-assisted suicide. A lot of Western media focus has been directed at a party called GreenLinks, a left-wing ecologist group bolstered by the leadership of a charismatic 30-year-old politician, The party platform includes a hardline stance which is pro-Europe and pro-refugee and of course has a strong stance on environmental issues. They will probably finish between 9 and 10 percent of the vote, up from the 2.4 percent of the vote that they received in 2012. Just below them we find the Socialist Party. They are what are considered soft Eurosceptics. They are supportive of European integration but against the current form of the EU. They are a part of the European United Left, in the European Parliament, which includes parties like Podemos in Spain, Syriza in Greece, and Sinn Féin in Ireland. They have been campaigning for expanded healthcare coverage and for returning their retirement age from 67 to 65. Our final mid-sized party I'm going to talk about just because it's interesting what kind of politics you can get in an open proportional representation system. Christian Unity is an Orthodox Christian Protestant party that claims to take the Bible as a source of its policy. It is Socially conservative party, but has policies that support both the environment and the expansion of the welfare state. It is moderately skeptical of Europe. It is a religious party that opposes abortion, drug use, and euthanasia, but supports expanded education and healthcare spending, as well as providing for asylum seekers. Greenpeace has called Christian Unit the greenest Dutch political party. There are also five other parties, bringing the total to thirteen represented in the next legislature. Most observers believe that the process of forming a government with a high number of small parties will be a long and complicated process. Although we know the results of the election within hours of the close of polls, we may not know what the government looks like for another several months. During that time, the second Ruta cabinet with its Labour Party allies will continue on as caretakers. The system of politics in the Netherlands is very diverse, but is also very stable and robust. With this election, which has seen the breakdown of a centrist coalition of social democrats, and the center-right, and the rise and fall of the far-right, the government that is likely to be formed in the aftermath will be one of significant compromise. And the important point is this. Wilders may, at one point, have been primed to score the highest vote in the legislature, but based on policy and character, he was never likely to form government. Which is not to say that this will be a success for the left, for integration, and for Europe, both Rütte and the Christian Democrats had to tack to the right with anti-immigrant sentiment during the election in order to undercut Geert Wilders. It may have paid off, but now they have to follow up on those promises. The Global Elections Podcast is produced by the James Street Studios in Ottawa, Ontario by me, Jason Manchester, with script editing by David Smith. Special thanks to Beniah Moses of Concordia University and to Gantin Yee. This podcast is uploaded to SoundCloud, but you can find the Global Elections Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or other podcast places. You can get a hold of us on Twitter at @jkManchester, JK Manchester, and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash globalelectionspodcast. You should rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you like the show, it helps people find us and helps us out somehow, maybe, I don't know. My name is Jason Manchester. Thanks for listening.